The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Now, hello there, welcome to the Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. Uh, this week we're going to talk about what we read. We read chapters 16 through 20. I am Jeff Lake. Alice Sullivan. And Micah Sparkman. Uh, and here we go. Okay, so last time uh, they escaped and they made their way to Berlon. And uh, then, uh, what's his name? All the, the, well, Rand and the others all had creepy, scary dreams with the you yeah, know, with mysterious evil figure, which is kind of, kind of seems like the dark one. Yeah. They decide not to tell Moraine about their dreams for... Uh, you know, trust reasons, I suppose, but it seems like a poor choice to me. Uh, and then they explore the town a little bit, right? And mm-hmm. Matt gets into a kerfuffle. Matt and Rand get into a kerfuffle with the White Cloaks, which seems like a tremendously poor idea. Mm-hmm. And Rand is in, in the grips of some fever, so he decides he's going to, like, really, like, stick it to him and, you know, threaten him and stuff. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're narrowly saved by the, the guard approaching. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, and we also met Min. The mysterious young lady who dresses like a dude who works at the at the inn, yeah. who uh, yeah. can see things, which seem to be prophetic. I'm right, a big yeah. fan of Min already. Like you know, she seems pretty cool. Yeah, she's she fun. does. Yeah, yeah. And so they're uh, heading back to the inn after this uh, this fun day of uh, angering the white cloaks and telling people about their secret devil dreams. <laughs> uh, when they hear they heard that Nynaeve has somehow caught up with them. And Nynaeve is the wisdom, uh, the, I guess, the shaman of their hometown. That leads us to chapter 16, the wisdom. Uh, and I, I wanted to point out, which I haven't been doing so far, have you guys noticed the little pictures on all the chapters? Yeah, yeah, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, those a, are like a little fig leaf kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, those, those, they use them to, it indicates what the topic of the chapter is going to be. And the, the little leafy thing is, I think it's an Evendasaur leaf, but it means basically like the wisdom. It means, uh herbalism like like Nene was all into herbs so mm-hmm. it's like yeah what the chapter is going to cover in it's sort of a general sense mm. interesting so once you've learned them and there's only a small set they reuse them over and over and uh, once you've learned them it kind of it's part of the experience is seeing that so Rand heads in to see Nynaeve uh, and Min <laughs> intercepts him briefly uh, and says she's part of it because Min has had this vision about all these main characters uh, saying there's she sees shadow and sparks fighting the shadow, and the shadow is trying to consume the sparks. And so they're they're all part of something really big, uh, and Nynaeve is part of it. And uh, she's also sparky. Yeah, and she's sparky. She gives us sparks. Yeah. Uh, and so they're they're really worried because they're terrified of Nynaeve. They're like as scared of her as they are of anything else. Yeah. And then they hear that Nynaeve is in there with Moraine in a room, and they're just sort of in there together. And they they walk in there like they're expecting to to die. Uh, and when they walk in there, Nynaeve and Moraine are just staring at each other. Yeah, it really like, made me think, I don't want to get sexist, but it really made me think of like a cat stare down, you know, when two cats meet each other and they start making them <laughs> sounds to try to warn each other off, but neither one wants to give up their territory. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely a, a huge personality conflict here. Yes, to power women who are powerful in their own ways, even though I think Nynaeve is more big fish in a small pond powerful mm-hmm. as opposed to Moraine who's powerful. Right. I think yeah. you make an interesting point about territoriality because it does feel a little bit like they're trying to claim ownership over these these villagers that they're traveling. You know, Nynaeve is like, these these are my people and Moraine's like, nah. <laughs> which, I, which I thought was kind of cool. She feels a sense of responsibility over 
the people of her village. I think she takes it too far to the point of possessiveness. Yeah. But I think it is neat that as a wisdom, she is somebody who's supposed to care and be responsible for the well-being of these people in this town. And I think that's what she's trying to do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Way. She takes it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I didn't expect it either, but I expected them to just sort of forget about that town and never go back. But, but yeah, the town takes, takes care of themselves so much so that they, they go after their... The, these three farm boys when they disappeared and and one farm girl she farm she's an in girl Egwene yeah yeah yeah, Can, yeah. more <clears throat> yeah and, possible and, cannibal and and to be and <laughs> to, to add on to that Nynaeve I think it's pretty cool she's 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 there because obviously nobody from Eamon's, Eamon's field trusts the Aes Sedai right mm, yeah um, whether they support them or not they they definitely don't trust them so I think she's not sure what Moraine's trying to do there. So maybe there's even a little bit of like a, I'm not only here to look after them, but maybe even rescue them. Well, I mean, going on when they left Moraine instructed them not to tell anyone. So, I mean, they, not, not many people in the village know what actually happened. As yeah. far as they know, the Aes Sedai disappeared. And then like mm-hmm. half their, their, the young people of the village also disappeared. So it could seem very malevolent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It could be like uh, someone coming into town and stealing their children away. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, uh, Nynaeve says she tracked him, yeah, uh, which impresses Lan. It's like, you tracked us? Yeah, I had trouble believing that. I'm so hard to track. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> Lan, he's this amazing warder, right? And yeah. so he, and he has this cloak of invisibility. And <laughs> so you would think he would be really, really good at doing this, like to the point of almost mm. supernaturally good. Mm-hmm. And the only explanation we get from Nynaeve is, oh, well, I'm a village girl, so... Yeah. We hung out in the woods a lot, so right. I'm really we, good we at track doing professional that. soldiers all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so either Len is not as good at hiding his trail as he claims, or you know, right. Nynaeve is hiding. You know. Maybe it's one of those things where he just kills everybody that ever finds him, and so people are just like, "Never mind, <laughs> we can't track Len." That must be it. He's got an overinflated sense of his yeah. own hiding ability. I think this is supposed to demonstrate something about Nynaeve. Uh, doesn't she mention something about uh, her dad wanted a son and so her dad ended up teaching her how to track? Yeah. And I guess her dad was the best tracker ever. Yeah, yeah it must be. Until uh, my father, father died, he took me hunting with him and taught me uh, what what he would have taught sons he never had. So, yeah. yeah. So, so this is just a hidden death to Nynaeve. She's uh, not only is she a really pushy uh, herbalist, but she's a really good tracker or something. She's very useful. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I actually uh, found this a little annoying because when Lan <clears throat> compliments her, she gets all blushy and like embarrassed about it. I mean, come on. Like, they're in like a really tense situation. Why is she responding like, you know, a teenager? It's, mm-hmm. it's, I found that very irritating, actually. Mm-hmm. It's because of the, the alluring stony planes of his face. <laughs> <laughs> so you think uh, Lan has a, a charming effect on Nynaeve? Mm-hmm. Mm. I think they definitely have, an, have a connection. Uh, and Nynaeve... Doesn't believe doesn't believe Moraine at all about this Trollocs thing. She's like, "Nope, you're full of crap." Uh, Wait, yeah, like that. That also bugged me, right? She was there. Yeah, she was there. Yeah, she was healing the people who got killed by the Trollocs. <laughs> uh huh. Okay, but she's just hard headed, right? You yeah. know, the stubborn Emmonsfield folk. Yeah, uh, and she tells a little story about how the the village council of Emmonsfield was going to send somebody after them, but they couldn't decide who to send, and they were arguing about it. And so she just got together with the women's circle and she just came herself. Uh, seems a little weird, too, because it would be useful to have more people if you're going to rescue your, your town's children from Aes Sedai. And she's like, no, I'm going to go all by myself and go rescue yeah. the people. But apparently that's what happened. 
Uh, so I don't know if the she's just out ahead of the other people that the town is sending. Mm-hmm. But she gets there first. Uh, and Nynaeve is kind of saying, well, I'm just going to make a big stink about this. And then Tom Marilyn tells her a little story that says there's white cloaks in the town. They'll kill everybody who's associated with an Aes Sedai, no matter what. And they're not going to ask questions, except for the white cloaks who are questioners. And they ask a lot of questions. <laughs> but, you know, the way they ask questions is more like, we're going to show up like a hot poker up your butt or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. exactly. Uh, and so that, that convinces her not to, to blow their cover. But she still wants them to come back with her. And there's, there's still this big standoff. So here's something interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we find out, talking, going back to land having supernatural powers, we find that no Trolloc can come within a quarter of a mile without land knowing it, feeling the evil of it. Yeah, so, which so that's brings the question, what, what exactly can he do? What are his powers? And are these, are these powers... Is it because he has these powers that he became a warlord, or does this relationship he has with Moraine mm-hmm. give him these powers? I'm curious. We don't have a lot of details about it, but but a, a couple points. And, and later on in this, this set, I remember uh, we get hints at, at their connection. Like, Moraine and, and Land do seem to be bound to one another as Aes Sedai and Warder. Yeah. It's, it's implied that they have a... It's, it's not just a normal relationship. They have a magical connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've, they've mentioned earlier that they can... Moraine can t- borrow some of Lan's strength, mm-hmm. and that Lan has extra endurance and better perception and stuff because of this magical connection they have. Yeah, and so this is so, the only magical power we've seen in men at all thus far, because yes. I thought any magic in men was supposed to be tainted. So that's right. interesting, the nature of magic. Yeah, that's a really good point because they make a really they make they make a point about the one true power, but and that seems to be the source of most magic, but. Maybe Land's power is unrelated, or maybe it comes from somewhere else, or maybe it's borrowed through uh, Moraine, so he gains power that's untainted. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, they, they haven't fully explained that yet. But uh, that's, that's a good point. Land is definitely special in that way. Mm-hmm. Right, so they, uh, they clear the room, so Nynaeve and Moraine can have a, a real talk, get down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else leaves, and we only see this from Rand's perspective. Uh, and they all sort of hang out outside. And after a little while, Nynaeve comes out, and everybody else books it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks around, and there's nobody there. It's just him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Nynaeve comes up and has a chat, and they have a kind of a nice chat where she confirms that Rand was born outside the two rivers. Yeah. And but she's kind of vague about whether his parents are actually his parents or not. Mm-hmm. And Moraine apparently asked her specifically about that, if any of the mm-hmm. the young men were born outside of... Emmons Field or the two yeah. rivers because clearly that's an important fact that but Nynaeve doesn't tell her Nynaeve's like right. of course not even though I feel like the way she talks to Rand about it she pretty much is saying yeah they aren't your real parents because she says essentially well no matter whether you're their kid or not they sure did love you which yeah. to me is kind of right. saying guess totally. what you're adopted yeah that's my read also yeah but Rand takes that to mean like oh she didn't tell me she doesn't know for sure maybe I'm not adopted because he's really resistant to this information that his parents are not his parents. Well, she she's a little dodgy about it, too. Uh, he asks her, uh, let's see, um, he said, said I wasn't his son when he was delirious in the fever and dot, dot, dot. And then uh, she stops him and says, people say strange things in a fever, twisted things, things that are not true or real. So she's kind of saying, well, you know, he was, in, he was delirious, he was in a fever. Yeah. Maybe that's not what he meant. Yeah. So she, I guess she doesn't know, but she does know he wasn't born in the two rivers. Very true. Mm-hmm. Which is different from what he thought. 
Yeah. Because I guess his, his dad just never told him. Yeah. Never came in a conversation when they were in the farmhouse together yeah. all those years. Yeah, every home. night. Yeah. All night. <laughs> and we have something else coming up, too. This idea of telling the truth, but not the whole truth, or twisting it in a certain way. Because already we know that this is something that the Aes Sedai do, right? They don't lie, yeah. but they manipulate the truth. And Nynaeve does that. And then she tells Rand, you've certainly learned how to twist words since you met her. So we have this starting with a lot of the characters. And Tom does it too, this telling but not really telling. That's true. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wonder if it's just the way of the world outside the two rivers or if maybe it's just these topics that they're talking about or things people don't want to actually come right out and say. I wonder if it kind of goes back to this idea of there's going to be a lot of ethical ambiguity. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... I think, I think, I mean, well... A lot of shades of gray. We, we already see a lot. I think that, that we already see a lot of it, that with Moraine in particular. You know, mm-hmm. she, she does things that are, that seem as if they could be defined as, like, evil acts mm-hmm. in, in the pursuit of her aims, her mm-hmm. goals. So, I, you know, we, we, we talked last time about the fact that even though she is, she is an agent of good, as far as we know, she definitely doesn't necessarily always do good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the means justify the ends to her. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she would kill somebody, she would destroy somebody's livelihood without a second thought to protect what she's trying to do. She destroyed a barge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just like smashed it? You know, that's that's like... a whirlpool. Yeah, I mean... It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Nynaeve also says that she still intends to take them back to Emmonsfield. She mm-hmm. has not given up on that, mm-hmm. even though Rand and Moraine and everybody has told her that this is this is bigger than Emmons Field. Yeah, and I don't know. Nynaeve's character frustrates me because she's so like, to me, unrealistically stubborn. Like, I, I get that she's a stubborn person. That's that's the point, you know. But but really, like, there, this this there's evil Trollocs that she knows exist. Like whether whether she believes all the stories or not, and there's like. The dark one and all these all these evil forces and she's just like nah it's cool let's just go back to Emmons Field you know no no I decided we're going back to Emmons Field it doesn't matter Rand even says at one point I hope she doesn't make up her mind because she once she does it doesn't matter what anyone says she's made up her mind like that seems ridiculous to me I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever met anyone that stubborn in my life yeah it's uh, she seems like she's had to deal with a lot of friction being the young wisdom of this village so mm-hmm. it may have just shaped her fighting into, for control into mm-hmm. be this thing where she has to get her way all the time because otherwise she'll never get her way yeah. yeah so that leads us to uh chapter 17 watchers and hunters mm-hmm. and uh, the symbol of this chapter is the dragon's fang which is the the symbol it's, that the that that people put on people's yeah. doors to indicate that they it's are the symbol of dark friends yeah. and, and mm-hmm. people who are secretly working for the dark one yeah so, after all this drama with Nynaeve goes down, Rand goes to the common room where Tom is, is entertaining. And Tom is really entertaining. There's it's a like, party going on. Yeah, like, he's, everybody, like, even the, the wait staff is, like, drop what they're doing and watching this amazing <laughs> story he's telling. It's hard for me to picture this, and I think that's probably because in our modern culture, like, our, our bar for entertainment is set pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like, a storyteller telling a story so engaging that, like, everyone in the room is just, like... Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess they're all they're miners, right, in Barillon, uh, down from the mine. So usually they're staring at a, a cliff face or something, yeah. sixteen hours a day. And yeah. this guy just telling a story while you sit there and eat some mutton pie is is probably pretty amazing. Yeah. I try I try and like picture what this would look like if if you have this 
Glee man who's like reenacting all these epic scenes and it's just like it's a little silly I don't know it's hard for me to picture what this looks like mm-hmm. I don't know what that would I can't think of it like an analog in the modern world like what what would be a, a storyteller so powerful that you just like be wrapped in attention uh, I don't know maybe like Louis C.K. yeah who is mm-hmm. that's all he does he gets up there and he stands and he's does he's, a monologue essentially yeah he's, he's going for for comedy but he tells these long stories, and he really he, he knows exactly. It's very polished. He knows exactly what to say to keep your attention mm-hmm. and to, to make give you the effect that he wants. Yeah. Uh, but it, you're right. There's not a lot, whole lot. There's not a whole lot of art forms of people that just standing there entertaining you. Yeah. But, uh, but again, that may just be a, a function of the fact that our we're we're a little bit desensitized to entertainment. Yeah. That when I go into like a, a common area and there's somebody there playing a guitar or something, I. Sit as far away as I can and try not to make any eye contact. <laughs> right. Oh, God, another fucking guitar player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so Tom is telling stories from The Great Hunt of the Horn, which is apparently a, an epic cycle of lots of different stories. And we get a little uh, another glimpse of the actual words. Uh, and uh, he's talking, I believe he's telling the story of Rogosh Eagle Eye, uh, just some hero. Apparently The Great Hunt is this this epic with all these different heroes it really is homeric it's it's like the iliad because there's all these different heroes and they've got all the different stories and they're all kind of interwoven in this grand tapestry thing yeah i thought that was actually a really fascinating idea because he i i don't remember who it is but someone mentions the fact that you would never tell this story in one sitting because it would take weeks of back-to-back storytelling so when someone tells the story they're usually they pick a couple of heroes and they tell a couple of their stories because every hero has stories i think that's kind of a a cool idea of this like grand epic of yeah i think it's common in these in in actual real world oral traditions uh because everything like the greek mythology right everything is sort of connected Mm -hmm. uh and these characters are sometimes they're just side characters and other people's stories but it's really Whatever the storyteller wanted to tell at that particular time on that particular night, they're just like, and here's another story about Hercules. You know, that's yeah. what people want to hear about. Right. Well, and isn't this exactly what Robert Jordan's doing? He's telling this story from mm. the perspective of multiple characters? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's like a tapestry. Oh. <laughs> like a pattern. Whoa. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The warp and weft. And then we have kind of a sweet little scene. Right. They have everybody dances. Yeah. Right? After telling all the stories, I guess uh, Tom gets a little tired of telling stories, so he starts playing some music. With some local musicians, uh, and they all get together and dance, and I, th- I guess they dance pretty regularly because everybody knows the steps. All the people in the common room and Rand, and eventually, I think all the main characters get together and they all dance. I think that was a, a definitely like a a thing in the in the real world in, in a similar you know timeline in our in our world. There were times when dancing was such a a, a popular form of, form of entertainment is that there were just dances that everyone knew, and then. You know, there were maybe, like, regional differences, but a lot of the time it was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're doing this this reel that everyone knows how to do, you know? It's like Jane yeah. Austen novels. Yeah, exactly. Everybody gets together for their dances. <laughs> right. And so, But they do, and it's it's really fun, because Rand gets into there, and he's uh, he's dancing it up, and he's dancing, he starts dancing with, a like, a tavern helper, wait, maid, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. what you dance with first? Yeah, uh, one, of the wait, one of the wait staff, you know, just a, yeah. a lady who's there. Right, and they, they in this dance they switch off, and so he dances with Igwene, uh, and they have a Egwene. frosty... Igwene. He dances with Igwene, yeah. uh, and they have a, a frosty little detente. Yeah, she just stares at him the whole time. Right, because they're still, I guess they're still fighting. I guess. <sighs> We're still fighting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that, that doesn't stop the dance. Yeah. yeah. 
And then, uh, and during this, while he's dancing around, he notices a, a scar-faced guy in the corner glaring at him. <laughs> Super creepy. Yeah, and Rand is really open-minded about this. Yeah. He's like, oh, this guy's glaring at me, but, you know, maybe he just can't smile because of that horrible scar. <laughs> I gotta say, I kind of love the, like, politically correct thinking he has, or, oh, maybe he's just mad at me because I'm looking at his disability, oh, man, I need I feel, to be more sensitive about I feel, that. I feel bad that I'm staring at him. Oh, I'm staring at him again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the no, the Scarface guy is just staring at him, mm-hmm. uh, and he's probably frowning because he's just a frowning person who likes to frown. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably because of that scar. This on his definitely face. won't come back. To yeah, probably not important. But yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think all of a sudden he da- he's dancing with Moraine. Moraine is dancing. Yeah. And this surprised me because she's sort of she has this uh, above it all demeanor, right? Mm-hmm. She's got a, a mission. You know, she's always she's always thinking about the the saving the world or whatever's going on with these Trollocs. Uh, but no, she's willing to dance. She'll get down and dance in an inn. And yeah. I gotta say, that's one of the things I like about the way Robert Jordan writes her character. She's She has these amazing powers, but at the same time, she has these very human qualities. He talks about her getting incredibly exhausted when she's healed everybody else's exhaustion, or here she is dancing. So she does mm-hmm. have these moments where she's more on their level, which I think is yeah. kind of cool. Right, yeah. yeah. She's, not, uh, she's not a robot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I, when I read the scene, I found myself thinking... You know, oh, you know, she if she's doing this dance, she has a reason for it. She's, you know, th- this is part of her plan, or she's like, she's got some ulterior motive. <laughs> this but this is the part of the plan where I dance with the farm boy. Yeah, but, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like this is this is some depth to her character. You know, she yeah. she likes to dance just like anyone else. Yeah, they're genuinely staying in this inn, and so yeah. there's genuinely dance going on, and she decides to dance. Yeah, but of course, Rand gets super nervous around Mo- dancing with Moraine and stumbles over his feet because <laughs> she's so pretty. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, then they dance a little bit more, and he dances with Nynaeve. Yeah. So they, they like, broke up from their, like, icy battle of wills, and it's dance time. Yeah. When the dance is going down, everybody dances in, in Barillon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he stumbles around Nynaeve also, even though he's danced with her before, right? You know, they danced at the, they're from was, the same town. I would assume so. Yeah, yeah, I would assume so. It seems like he's probably danced with, you know, whoever was around at, at Beltine, Beltine, yeah. whatever. But whatever. So the the dance finally winds down, and uh, Rand catches up with Matt. Oh yeah, he, he they left a uh, Rand, Matt, and Perrin. They all want to dance, but they have to leave somebody to watch the cloaks and the weapons and stuff. <laughs> the swords yeah. and axes and stuff. <laughs> yeah, our pile of weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think Matt had to watch the weapon pile first. His little yeah. tag team thing happened. <laughs> right, because every, they they snuck away. Like you got it. Uh, but then they, they regroup, and Matt says the Scarface guy was glaring at him too. Uh, and Land's like, oh yeah, that guy's a spy for the White Cloaks. So, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess I guess it makes sense, you know, but... Yeah, but he knows that? I mean, I'm not exactly sure how Lan knows that, unless he's just assuming, because he's like, that guy's a spy, and the White Cloaks are in town. Yeah. That's a good point, yeah. Lan, Lan, Lan does, does not know that, that Rand and Matt went out and pissed off the White Cloaks, deliberately. <laughs> but he's, he must have done some scouting or something. It seems like Lan is always, like, disappearing to go scout stuff out for a little bit. Yeah. And maybe he... Maybe he, over, uh, yeah, maybe he overheard a conversation between the Scar guy and the... <laughs> also, that's one of the first things Moraine does when they get to Berlon is she asks the innkeepers, hey, what's the gossip? What's the news? Oh, so yeah. maybe the innkeeper was like, oh yeah, that guy's always hanging out with the white clothes. Yeah, they've got their ear to the ground. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so they they break up. Lance says basically don't worry about him. Uh, and Rand goes to the kitchen for some milk before bed. Which, like you do. Do you guys do that? No. 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 I, it's it's a it's a one of those remedy things, right? Warm milk before bed helps you sleep. Maybe. Doesn't, I mean, 
Yeah, it's an old folk remedy. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard that. So maybe it's just maybe that's what it is. Yeah, but uh, in the kitchen or the hallway by the kitchen, he sees a murderall, a fade. Oh my god! Uh, Right there in the inn. Uh, and it looks at him, and it paralyzes him with his look. This is the first time we've actually seen one up close before, right? Yeah. Up until now, they've been off in the distance. And... Yeah. You just see their cloak, which doesn't move in the wind. <laughs> yeah. And, what? yeah, and this fade, it's it's in there, and it says, what What does it say? It says something like... It's, it's actually really creepy, the way they describe it. A man's face, but pasty white, like a slug under a rock, and eyeless. From oily black hair to puffy cheeks was as smooth as an eggshell, which I thought was a very creepy description. Yeah, so he doesn't even have eye sockets. Yeah. It's just like a flatness there. Yeah. Oh, and his uh, his voice sounds like a file drawn softly across bone. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, Ooh. Which I, I assume... I can't imagine. Like, I assume that's the first thing Rand thought of because he hears that all the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've never filed bones myself, but... I wonder if the mirror draw practices that voice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talk to somebody. I'm gonna talk really creepy. I mean, mirror draw, do they live a long time? I assume they have a lot of time to practice. Oh, yeah, they could live forever. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, maybe they have like Dale Carnegie classes, except for a mirror draw where they learn how to be good public speakers <laughs> no, in as more, creepy a way as possible. It's more back in your throat, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it it paralyzes him. It just looks at him, and he's he can't even move. And it's more than just like fear. It's like he's like a deer in the headlights, or not even that. That's sort of shock. It's like he's like he's trying to move. He's trying to make his feet move, but they won't do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's meeting his boogeyman, because we knew, he, even from the very, very beginning, before the Myrdral even showed up, he was terrified by the idea of this fate, so, mm-hmm. or Myrdral, so it's something that's been in their lore for a long time. He's literally meeting the boogeyman, but are you suggesting that maybe there's, the Myrdral has this power to freeze in there? That's what I think. I Interesting. Think, I think this is actually something we've already, I think someone told us this. I think either Tom or Lan mentioned earlier on that Myrdral have a have a paralytic effect with their, yeah. their gaze. Yeah, Lan mm. said something like, I've seen brave warriors that have killed a million people. Well, okay, they've killed a lot of people. <laughs> a million uh, people. Just be frozen in their, their steps by a by fade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fade says something along the lines of, is it you? Are you the one? Uh, right? Doesn't he say something like that? You are one of them, boy, as <laughs> Rand sprays his milk in his face. He <laughs> <laughs> does a spit take, I guess. <laughs> Rand does a spit take right in the face I of the mirror. If you're going to spit take some milk, that's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. You are one of them, boy. You, you are one of them, and he's about to kill him, but he doesn't. Yeah, he, he looks like he's going to. Yeah, and he the says sword some, stops. Mm-hmm, and he says something very cryptic. He says, you belong to the great lord of the dark. You are his. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he could have killed him, but it doesn't. Yeah. And uh, and at this point, Lan charges in because he can sense this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know, and the the fade runs away into the shadows and like disappears. So Moraine uh, mentions that Mirdral are weakened around her or something. Isn't that something mm-hmm. she says? I, th- I think she says it around the same time we learn about Lan's being able to sense it. Moraine's uh, explaining to Nynaeve why it's safer to be with her than without her, and she yeah. says something like Mirdral have. Uh, their powers are weakened within a certain distance of me or something thought, like that. I thought what she was saying was that they're not, not, not in like a concrete way, but that the, the Myrdal can't get what they want around her because she's got land and land can sense Myrdals. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I didn't, I she's didn't just think being, she... She's being really vague. Mm-hmm. But what she means is that the Myrdals not can't just grab them because she's with, there with land. Yeah. That's what my takeaway was, but it, it's vague, so I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, Lan comes down, scares off the Myrdral, uh, and he says, well, time to go, because the, they know we're here. And 
So they all, they gather, roust everybody out, they gather everybody up, they're going to leave an inn in the middle of the night again, which is what they do. Yeah, and they tell the innkeeper... Yeah, uh, More like, in, yeah tells the innkeeper, just let anybody, give anybody what they want. Don't protect us, just tell them whatever they want to know, just go for it. Because the innkeeper doesn't actually know that much. But the innkeeper, of course, insists, no, I, will, I won't tell them anything. I'm not afraid of anything, I'll protect the guests of my inn. Uh, and Maureen's like, uh, that's stupid. But we gotta go. Yep. Yeah. And of course, please, and, please really don't do that. But okay, we're, yeah. we're leaving. And Tom is going with them for a, a, stre- a tenuous reason, because he says, "Well, they they saw me coming with you, and once they know that you're you're a Aes Sedai, then you know we'll they'll, they'll be trouble for me." So he's going to keep going with them. Tom definitely seems afraid of the White Cloaks. Uh, at this point in the story, at several points, he's talked about what the White Cloaks are, are up to and how they're. Horrible. He's yeah. he's the one who does does all the white cloaks exposition for whatever reason. Yeah, I guess he's just worldly. Yeah, uh, and Nynaeve is going with them because he, she still intends to bring them back to Emmons Field. Yay! Nynaeve's coming along. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and Maureen warns uh, warns them of dark friends, and they says, and uh, she says the innkeeper thinks of dark friends as like scum in the gutter, like rags, the dregs of society. But she says there's actually dark friends everywhere, in all walks of life, at all levels of society. There are secret dark friends. Sounds how, a little paranoid. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, how do you recruit dark friends? Who recruits dark friends? I mean, mm-hmm. Trollocs wouldn't necessarily be great at like, you know, meeting people and getting them yeah. to join the fold, right? Are they the stonemasons? I don't know. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a secret it's society. It's a good question. Uh, so they they head out through the night on their horses. And they proceed to bribe their way through the gate again, <laughs> which is just how Moraine Land get in and out of cities. <laughs> yeah, it's just nonstop gold. But unfortunately, there are what, like five white five, cloaks there? Yeah, yeah, there are white cloaks there, children of the light, mm. and they apparently were just watching the gate because that's how they have fun. Uh, and they're like, "What are you doing at this middle of the night? Is it evil?" <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not evil. Definitely yeah. not evil. Right? Yeah, and they. One of the things that makes him suspicious is that Lan is such a badass he doesn't even care about the white cloaks. <laughs> it's like the, he sees like he sees everybody flinch away from him except Lan, and that's what makes him suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't but, play. Lan doesn't play by anybody's rules, even his own. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but it's it's Bornhall. This this particular lead white cloak is a guy named Bornhall, who is the same guy that got splashed with mud earlier. Yeah, and oh. that Rand laughed at in the street earlier. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe it would have been a not a great idea to do that earlier, and you know. Yeah, absolutely. And they, he recognizes Rand, uh, and and he's like, "Well, these guys are dark friends because they splashed us with mud, so they're dark friends." Because uh, that's what dark friends do: they splash people with mud. Right, yeah, because anybody who gets in their way is a dark friend. Yeah, uh, they're very. These people are very uh, self righteous. Mm-hmm. It's it's like to a cartoonish degree. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I don't understand why anybody tolerates them if they're this bad. You know, it's a fear thing. It's, it, I, it feels, yeah, it feels a lot like a fear thing. It feels a lot like the White Cloaks are strong enough that they kind of do what they want anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, what do you do if you have a giant militarized bandit force and you're a small town with, like, wooden walls? Well, that's, right? I mean, in military terms, that's an invasion. You expect your country to go kill all those people. Right. Yeah. But they don't do that. Somehow the White Cloaks are allowed to ride around in large military groups in other people's countries uh, and, and just grab people off the street and torture them. Well, I mean, they're kind of, they're... A Taliban. They're the Taliban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Taliban. They're there, and they're doing it in the name of religion and righteousness. Yeah, and the Taliban does exist in several different countries, and they're 
Yeah, they, yeah. they call themselves the righteous people. And if you and if you say, "Oh no, you guys are doing bad stuff," then like that sounds like something a dark friend would say, and then they torture and kill you. So yeah. I mean, it, it seems like their their particular brand of of badness doesn't necessarily. There's no proof against it in being like a, a political figure right. or something. But, yeah, well, I have it here in my notes. These guys are the worst. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of white clubs. But we 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 can't make any ties to Vietnam though, right? Because there wasn't really. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Was, was there any, a group of super righteous people going around looking for spies in Vietnam? Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. I wouldn't say so. I, I mean, the closest closest parallel I could think of is what I said before. The, they're kind of Inquisition figures, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. just religious, self-righteous people. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like things might go down uh, when Moraine decides, screw this, it's magic time. <laughs> <laughs> and she grows into a giant and starts shouting at them. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. It's, I think Moraine is very creative because she does a different thing every time. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, it, this could easily be resolved by any number of things she's already done. But she's like, nah, let me pull a different spell. I mean, spell. she could, like, fog them or something and they could run away. But yeah. no, no, no. It's time for giant spell. Maybe she already burned her fog spell and now she has to use the other spell she prepared. Very possible. We yeah. do not know how the work, how, the, how this magic works yet. Yeah. Uh, and so while she's distracting him, and she grows huge. She grows 20 feet tall. Uh, Tall enough that she can walk over the wall, I think it says. Yeah, and that scares the crap out of everybody, and they all run except Bornhold, who actually takes a swing at her with his sword, but she blocks it with her her staff, Yeah. uh, which, despite blocking a sword, is is unharmed, and there's a shower of sparks when the sword hits the staff. Uh, And while she's distracting them by being 20 feet tall and growing, the rest of the party all slips out the gate, and then they, they make their way away from the city, and then Rand looks back and sees Moraine step over the wall to get out of the city. And uh, I think they close the gate right after him. Yeah, that's the thing. They As soon as they're they're out, the the guards close the gate because they're terrified now. And the White Cloaks want to go after them, but the guards won't open the gate. And apparently the, the other White Cloaks, the, besides the leader, won't open the gate either. Yeah. Understandable. I mean, this person did just turn into a 20-foot tall giant with yeah. a staff that, you know, shoots sparks and stuff. Yeah. And so that's pretty cool. Do you think Marion actually grew, or do you think it was an illusion? Well, that's the thing. She stepped over the gate. Yeah. If it was an illusion, you would expect her to still have to go through the gate if there's still a little... A little well, the it ring. looked like she stepped over the gate. But she so, might Yeah, did she actually put the effort into, like, like the verisimilitude of this, yeah. <laughs> making the illusion step through the gate while she just walks through? See, uh. I'd be more inclined to think it's an illusion. She says... Um, the eye sees what is not there, which makes me think it was an illusion. And also... Maybe because she has these powers by manipulating the elements, right? Mm. So yeah. is she manipulating like air in order air? to look like she's a lot bigger? Like Maybe what would you be? An illusion would be light. Does that fall? That's not an element, though. Of the yeah. Like so the I was thinking I power. Yeah. Never mind. It was a no, no. Yeah. I mean, no, no, that's, that's sense. a good point. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it should have a, a basis in some sort of element. Yeah. I mean, spirit is the only non-element thing. Yeah, we're not quite sure what that is. Yeah, but it's yet another thing that Moraine can do. Mm-hmm. So, they, they made it away from the White Cloaks, and now they head off on the road to Camelin, <clears throat> which is uh, their, the city they're going to go through on the way to Tarvalon. Uh, and they notice as they're heading over the ridge, they look back, and there's a, a building burning in Bearlawn, and it's the inn where they were staying, where the, the, the stag and the lion. Is that what it's called? The stag and lion? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Those are the like Baratheons and Lannisters. Oh, yeah. Hey. Uh, but it's on fire, and Moraine says, you know... I told him, yeah. and that's a that's a good distraction. This mm-hmm. is this is good news for us. To which Nynaeve is like, "What? You're so heartless!" Blah blah blah. 
which actually manages to piss Lan off. He actually gets angry at her. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, because nothing gets to Lan. Uh, but Moraine says, basically, it doesn't matter. Nothing is as important as saving these these boys. Mm-hmm. And so they head off to Camelon. A lot of uh, a lot of misfortune befalls people who help Moraine. Yeah, definitely. And like, I would say that she leaves a, a, a trail of, you know, destroyed livelihoods in her wake, right? Absolutely. I mean, broken uh, lives. She says the end justify the means, but we just have her word for this. She hasn't even told us what's going on yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what's what her, what her aim is, but she definitely seems to be okay with losing friends along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we're at chapter 18, the Camelin Road. Uh, and there's a picture of a Trolloc as the symbol. Well, we've got a triptych going on here because we also have a, a we have the Trolloc skull, we have the pitchfork, yeah. and then. So I think I know what these are. Mm. These are the badges. Oh. Because remember, they describe the badges at a couple different points. The that the Trollocs wear uh, when Lan <laughs> kills Trollocs, he collects their badges because that's what you do. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> he has his, his little badge collection, yeah. and he describes that one of them is a trident, one of them is like a skull with horns. And one of them is a fist, I think. Oh, okay. good catch. Yeah, okay. so that's what this is. These are the Trolloc badges. Uh, so they're heading east on the road to Camelin, and I believe, are they finally on the map? They're on Camelin Road. They, we had that one map that they gave us several chapters ago, but neither of the two cities they've been to since then are actually on that map. Yeah, it was before, like, it was during the last episode of our podcast that we came upon the map. So it's been at least five or six chapters. Let me see if I can find it. Where's my map? Oh, man, is it really this far back? Or did I miss it? Uh, yeah, okay, it is before chapter 13, so we've come a long way since yeah. then. Uh, uh, they're on Camelot Road? Yeah. Uh, he, and Camelot Road is right at the bottom of the map, I think, and it's going east. Yeah, but I think that they they haven't reached uh, White Bridge, so they... That's right, they haven't reached White Bridge They yet. still aren't on the map. <laughs> yeah, they're still not on the map. Okay, yeah, so they're still not on the map. Uh, Nynaeve apparently is spending the entire trip talking to Moraine about herbs. And Moraine's and, being kind of a jerk about it. Well, I, I get the impression she's been doing this since they left Barillon, and, and Moraine's like, how do I get out of this conversation? <laughs> yeah. This is really awkward. Yeah, we have the whole thing. Nynaeve is telling Moraine this whole thing about what's best for fatigue and stuff, and then uh, Moraine murmurs, I'm sure they do, and gives her, like, a glance. This is really uncomfortable. Is, yeah. yeah but, I mean, I'm tired of hearing about this. I guess like, Nynaeve like, is trying to prove her knowledge. I don't know what is up with Nynaeve. I, it doesn't... I don't understand her behavior at all, because she does this for the whole chapter. Yeah. Like, she's going on and on about it, and Moraine is giving her all the signals, like, stop talking to me about herbs. So this is like this is like when your friend gets into homeopathics, and they really <laughs> want you to try homeopathics. Like, no, no, trust me, if you take this this uh, this yeah. capsule, this one one-thousandth diluted capsule, right. it'll, like, make your, you know, your hair grow faster. I'm trying to sell her on herbal life. Nobody knows exactly what's going on. It says, Rand wondered what she, what she, the wisdom, was up to. After ignoring the Aes Sedai completely for the first day, Nynaeve had spent the last two trying to talk to her about herbs. Right. So I think... I, I don't know. Like I said, I have no idea. So I, I, I think it's... To me, it reads a little bit like a... I don't know how to say this. So so Moraine is this... Nynaeve is used to being the the power, right? She's yeah. used to being like the, the person that people go to for solutions. And Moraine is now the pe- person that people go to for solutions. So it's a little bit of like a... I guess she's trying to like assert value she's trying to say look i know you have magic powers but this is what i can do okay. in, in in some attempt to like demonstrate her 
her adequacy, her value. I don't know. It, it, it seems a little bit like she's trying to say, look, I know I can't do what you can do, but I can still yeah. help the team. Yeah, you know? she's trying to one-up Moraine maybe a little bit. I don't even know if it's one-upping so much as just like trying to like put herself on equal footing. Yeah. Contribute and put herself on like, you know, some kind of like okay. fair footing. Yeah. So that that's happening, and I, I guess everybody is desperately trying to get out of the situation, when yeah. luckily for them, they hear a trollic horn behind them. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. God, <laughs> yeah. this is getting so awkward. Yeah, they hear a trollic horn, and uh, and then Lan, who hears it, uh, gallops back the way they came to go check it out. And Moraine says something like, be safe, last lord of the seven towers. Light go with you, last lord of the seven towers. I wrote it down, because I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, we know a little something about Lan, though. He's the last Lord of the Seven Towers. Yeah, we... Very we, informative. I think, was it Rand notes it? He's actually... Wait. Oh. Yeah. So, and yeah. Min saw, when she was looking at Lan, she saw an infant in a cradle and seven towers around it. Yeah, so. I think seven broken towers. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is uh, definitely something we didn't... We don't know what it means yet, but it seems to be an important part of Lan's history. Right, yeah. So they're, they're still going. Uh, Lan isn't back yet, but the horns are definitely getting closer to them. Uh, when Lan finally returns, and he says he saw three to five fists of Trollocs, each led by a Fade, uh, which Moraine informs the rest of them means there's 500 Trollocs after you, mm. which is a lot, because so far only like a dozen or a, a, a dozen or so Trollocs is the most we've seen, and they've been a big problem. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're behind him, and uh, instead of rushing, they sort of pr- proceeded at a steady pace, because exactly what Moraine thought might happen happens, they hear horns in front of them, it's a trap. They're being herded. Uh, so there's that means, I guess, there's even more Trollocs in front of them. Uh, and so there, there's Trollocs behind them, Trollocs in front of them. Uh, Moraine quickly goes through their options to head north or south, and neither of these options seem very good. Uh, Lan mentions a place he can go. they can go where Trollocs won't go, but Moraine's like, no, 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 no we're not going there. Uh, I mean, so, it, it yeah. seems like a problem. If there's a place that Trollocs won't go, that's probably not, like, the greatest place to go. Indeed. Uh, but sort of in desperation, they head north. Uh, so they've left the road, and they're going over hills now, and it's really rough country. And the Trollocs are still getting closer. They can tell because of the horns. And as they're they're heading over a ridge, they come across a line of Trollocs in front of them, uh, and the Trollocs all have hooks and catch poles, mm. uh, which is really creepy. They don't have weapons. They're trying to catch them. Yeah, d- different than uh, the, the Trollocs we've seen before who were armed with things like spears and axes and uh, yeah. hooked yeah. swords. And the catch pole comes up again later too. So what? What exactly is a catch pole? Is it just like a long, like dog catchers use? That's a what long I think. Stick with yeah. a loop on the end. That's what it's, I think. Yeah, that's okay. what it is. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. What you use for pulling people off a of horseback? Yeah. yeah the hook, need to do that. The a pole with a hook on it seems like a little bit messy. You know, like that could be real bad if you get. I yeah, mean, unless the I hook's mean, not sharp. Maybe you don't. You don't care about injuring them, right? <clears throat> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Unless they're like. Blades forged in the forges of Shile Gull, and, and that will cause an infection that will kill them. Anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Lan charges them, and everybody else charges too, because there's nowhere else to go. It seems yeah. like a bad idea. Like, you I, see a line of monsters, and you're like, well, here we go. Well, what else do you do, right? There's, there's more of them behind you. Yeah. So, the, the, what you got to do is charge into it and fight your way through. But been, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, up until now, like, Trollocs have been, like, bad business. It just seems like... Trolling, charging a literal army of Trollocs is like, you're going to die, kind of mm. thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, if you're out of options, die. though. Yeah. Yeah. And something kind of weird happens when they charge, too. Yeah, so Lan charges, what does he say? For the, For seven, the seven Towers! Yeah, he's, he's just all about these Seven Towers. Uh, and Rand and Perrin are like, oh, I don't know, and they shout, Manetherin! Because of that cool story well, that Moraine told. I think they want to be like Lan. 
They're like, oh man, that sounded so cool when he did that. I didn't do it. I don't find that like naive at all. If I was in that situation, I would shout something. Yeah. yeah. Austin! <laughs> Austin, Texas! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Matt shouts out a bunch of words in a language we do not recognize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is weird because Matt is, is definitely, up to this point, has been the stupidest person in the party. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he spent a lot of secret time studying like <laughs> ancient languages or. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, but before anybody can think about it, uh, they're among the Trollocs. And Lan squares off with the Miradral, the most dangerous one, and they have themselves a, a duel uh, with their black horses dancing around each other and their swords a blur, like move and counter move. I bet it looks blender. super badass. Uh, it was really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Moraine uses her magic and she, she fries a bunch of Trollocs with like this fire that consumes them and, and makes them explode. Yep. Which is pretty cool. Uh, she could have done that to those white cloaks. Yeah, she does. Like she, you know, she was saving that one. She was saving that spell because she <laughs> said right. she could only do it once. <laughs> right, she only have a certain number memorized. Uh, and she fries a bunch of them, and it seems like they're doing pretty much all the work. And so Rand and Perrin almost get caught, uh, and I think Matt does get caught. Uh, there's like a hook. He's pulled off his horse. Yeah. Yeah. The, a hook grabs uh, Rand, but he manages to get free. Uh, Perrin almost gets pulled down, and Matt gets a, a noose around his neck. A catch pull around his neck and gets mm-hmm. pulled off his horse. And it looks things look really bad for our heroes when all of a sudden the, the Trollocs freak out. And start screaming, right? Yeah, they just start screaming and tearing at their own faces and howling and barking and falling on the ground and kicking. Uh, and Rand looks around and sees that the Mirdral is now a headless Mirdral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still riding around on his horse, but aimlessly sort of slashing around with his swords. Yeah, well, Tom says it won't die until nightfall, not completely. This, that is what I've heard anyway. Yeah. yeah, so we don't know if that's true or not, but Tom, again, seems to have like a, an uncanny knowledge of like... Yeah, he's, he's heard a lot of useful things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose it doesn't necessarily mean it's true, though. It could just be superstition. But yeah. we take it to be true. Right, so that it sounds like this, this group of Trollocs is done for with this by this fade. I was actually surprised when this happened because up until this point, I had got the impression that Miradral were more just like herders for mm-hmm. Trollocs and and maybe maybe commanders because Trollocs seem like they kind of do what they're going to do otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't realize that there was this, this supernatural tie between a Miradral and his fist. Yeah, though there was between this this one and its fist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Which so that's great. So Land manages to save the day by out sword fighting a Miradral. Because Lane is the coolest cool that ever cooled. He's <laughs> super badass. Yeah, I wonder, is, they didn't say, does the cloak, like, so they cuts off the head. Does that cut off part of the cloak? Does that part of the cloak that got cut off, is it affected by the wind? Is the part of the cloak that's still on the body affected by the wind? Oh. Is well, it affected by the wind as you drop it? Or is it like <laughs> dropping something on the moon? It <laughs> just like, yeah, it just falls without. I, I assume that the, the cloak has magic in and of itself, right? I mean, do we talk about what happens when a mirror draws cloak is, you know, when he's like having the end of the day and it just like takes yeah. his cloak off? What is if he's it? underwater? Oh yeah, has it affected him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if, he, if he throws it over the back of a chair, does it end? <laughs> it's like a piece of I don't know. These, these are the real questions that Robert Jordan is avoiding. <laughs> we should write Robert Jordan a letter. Oh wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they they're still being chased. This was just some of the Trollocs, and uh, they almost get caught by a whole bunch more Trollocs and three fades. Uh, but Moraine stops them with an earthquake and a firewall for good measure. She creates a giant earthquake that, that shakes the land like these waves, uh, but it doesn't affect her. She's just standing there. And uh, it knocks all the Trollocs down, and then she creates a big firewall that goes from horizon to horizon, uh, which is a really big... That's a magic, major magic spell, you That know? seems like she, something she should have used previously. I mean, if she could do that. She's mm-hmm. using the Angriel, though. She's not just doing it herself. She's using this magical 
yeah. that they've lost. They've forgotten how to make them. There's only yeah. a few left in the world. That's right. That's magical right. gym crack. Yeah, and even even after using this magical gym crack, isn't mm. it gym crack? Gym crack? Yeah. So maybe even you if you got. Yeah, even if you're using this magical gadget, yeah, uh, she faints. So no more meringue. Well, as as we know already, fire and earth are the uh, typically the male side, so not something that is her strength. Yeah, right. And I, I think she actually says something about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not at my strongest when working with earth and fire. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but it's it's managed to delay the Trollocs and Myrdal, and that's pretty great. Uh, but she's out of pocket. She's she falls down, and Land catches her and puts her back on her horse. And they keep going. Uh, but then, now Nynaeve comes in useful. She gives her some caffeine. Yeah. Uh, they didn't call it caffeine. It's just the, the herbs she has that reduce fatigue and weariness. Yeah. It's like those truckers, the, the caffeine pills you can yeah, get it's, it's, Yeah, it gives her a five-hour energy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which is really useful because apparently Maureen cannot do any magic with her own tiredness. Yeah. Uh, so that that's pretty helpful, actually. Yeah, and good on Maureen for respecting that, you know... Yeah, it. right. Yeah. Is, she, is she just? <clears throat> I mean, is she just being patronizing though. Is she just like, like oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll eat your stupid yeah. plants. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll wear your crystal necklace or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about this multi-level marketing opportunity. <laughs> I'm glad that you enjoy these herbs. <laughs> yeah. And so they they start talking about what Matt said, his battle cry, uh, and Moraine recognizes it. It's the old tongue, and she translates it. Uh, and interesting, like Egwene said, she she sort of recognized it, but then but then she didn't. So. It was familiar to her, uh, and it was the battle cry of Minetherin. Matt just started shouting the battle cry of Minetherin in the old tongue. Right. For the honor of the Red Eagle, for the honor of the Rose of the Sun, the Rose of the Sun. Which, which I, I believe Min sees a Red Eagle over Matt's head, right? She Isn't does. One of things she sees? Ooh. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that uh, Matt, who, again, seems like the, the kind of the jackass of the group, <laughs> seems to have some sort of like tight connection. Yeah. So that's uh that's the old blood. That's what Moraine suggests. Or the old talk. blood sings is what she says. I think. Yeah. So these because it's like I don't know is it genetic or something. I guess there's no genes or whatever. It's sort of a reincarnation thing. Yeah. Uh, the old blood. Yeah. The the old blood has come out, and in a moment of stress, he started shouting basically Latin. Yeah. You know the old tongue, uh, and this uh, this is not something that Matt is really happy to hear. Well, I mean, up until this point, I think he had convinced himself that maybe there wasn't any anything special about him, which yeah. you know normally wouldn't be yeah a thing to be bragging. And, about. Anybody would assure him that there's nothing special. About him. <laughs> and now it's like, oh no. Uh, so Moraine, uh, because she's back in the fight because of Nineve's nodos that she gave her, <laughs> uh, Nineve's nodos, uh, she leaves like a magic false trail somehow using magic. Magic's really useful. Yeah. She just uh, has like a yeah. She makes like a little dust devil essentially that carries their scent. Yeah, that seems like a useful thing that she could have done, you know, previously, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well. I don't know. Maybe it's like a random spell. Maybe she doesn't know what she's got. <laughs> I appreciate it though, because in the only other fantasy series that I've read all the way through, it's the Lord of the Rings and Gandalf's magic. He never he very rarely uses it, and it's never particularly useful when he does. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that we have this character who is able to do all these cool things. Like, right, yeah. We actually see magic being used in cool ways. Very practically useful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she leaves a magic false trail uh, and they head to a mysterious abandoned city out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and it's a, it's a big city, too. And uh, Moraine says, you know, this is Aridol. 
but now now known as Shadar Logoth. Which definitely isn't an evil and sinister sounding name. Yeah, let's head on into the Shadar Logoth. <laughs> if anyone said that to me, I'd say, maybe not. Tell me a little <laughs> bit more about this Shadar Logoth before we go wandering in. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, Perrin, a- Perrin makes the observation that it seems like a, a dead city because everything's over overgrown and overrun. and it's Right, like, it is. Yeah. Covered in vines and creepers. And there's no, uh, you know, you would think there would be more stuff around a city of this size, but there's nothing. It's just a city standing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so chapter 19, Shadows Waiting. <clears throat> and uh, and the, for chapter 19, we have some birds. Yeah, birds, I think they're ravens. Oh, I mean, I guess yeah, it's the only birds that have been mentioned, and they're black, so... I'm yeah, no, those beaks are a little long yeah. for, for ravens, aren't they? I do not know about the length of raven beaks. I think they're <laughs> probably got to be like parakeets or something. <laughs> you think they're parakeets? <laughs> they're black parakeets. Okay, yeah, black parakeets, yeah. Uh, the dark one's tools. Yeah. Uh, so they head into the city. Uh, it's it's tumbled down, All the bu- or half the buildings have fallen down, but this city is gigantic to the farm folk. They're... They, they think, like, they must have thought we were idiots if we thought Berlon was a city, because this is a city. Mm. You, know, you know, we remember now, well, back when the, they mentioned Berlon, like, Tom kind of laughed at him a little bit, and Maureen yeah. was like, tell us, tell us what you think about this city, kids, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, man, we looked like assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so now they're in a real city, even though it's an empty one. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's gigantic. There's all kinds of different buildings. Uh, everything's made of stone. There's no, like, dirt streets anywhere. And uh, they eventually head into a big building... They don't even know what it was for, but it's a big open room, and they rest. Uh, and Matt is is really upset that he started spouting the old tongue because that's something special, which kind of indicates that he might be the one that the Trollocs are looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, up until this point, they, they, they've all been kind of hoping that it's not real. I mean, they know that there's something going on, but they're hoping that it's just, like, gonna go away on its yeah. own. And Rand is all like, well... You know, I was born outside the two rivers, and my father hid that for me for my entire life. But that's probably nothing. Matt, though, that old tongue thing, he's <laughs> yeah. in trouble. Yep. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, so Matt's upset about that, and he's he's back on the kick that he wants to get away. And, and Matt then, as everybody sets, settles down to rest, Matt talks Rand and Perrin into just going, without telling anybody, off into the city. Oh, and but exploring. before we do that, we have... We have the moment when Moraine and Nynaeve become friends. Oh, yeah. Does that happen? Yeah, that happens. We get more talk about herbs. but <laughs> Ni- So I think I think when Moraine accepted the herbs from Nynaeve, that was kind of like the thing, the, the catalyst that was needed okay. for them to become friends. So now they're best friends. I think, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, I was actually trying to think of a word. It's not a bromance. It's like a cismance, a, a, a surmance. I don't know what else <laughs> to call it. She- <laughs> Whatever it is, they're becoming friends. And... <laughs> It's kind of. I kinda, think it's. I think girls just call it being friends. Like you know, it's like yeah, one of those things where they don't like, need a special term. To yeah, like guys have to using like, the, the actual words. Yeah, guys have to justify the fact that they're really close friends with a guy or something because they're afraid it might be you know misconstrued. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for women mostly, it's just like guess, we're really good friends. Sure, but Nynaeve has a moment I like when Lan is Lan is telling Nynaeve, "Be careful with those with your herbs." And Nynaeve starts bitching out Lan, saying, oh, she needs them. We all need them. You know, Moraine may have all these great powers, but I can help her with my herbs. And Moraine (laughs) says, be at ease, Lan. She means no harm. She simply does not know. Nynaeve stopped digging in her bag and looked at him, frowning, but it was to Moraine that she spoke. There are many things I don't know. What thing is this? Yeah, I think think what they're implying here is that Nynaeve, Nynaeve thinks that Maureen is like sick or something or, or, or hurt or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm going to heal you. 
And Moraine's like, no, it's this just this is just how it works. Like I use the magic, and if I overuse the magic, then it like kicks the crap out of me, and I have to yeah. sleep a little bit. But they have like this kind of kiss and make up moment because she Moraine also says too, your skills and knowledge will be more useful than I thought. Yeah. So I think that's nice. I think they're kind of mm-hmm. backing off a little bit and they're becoming friends. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think Nynaeve, despite rubbing people the wrong way, is actually a very useful person to have around. Yeah. And that's finally when we see a moment of her not just being this bossy, desperately trying to jockey for power, I'm always right thing. Because I mean, it takes a lot of intelligence to say, there are many things I don't know. Yeah. So, that's a good point. That, I that like was, that. Yeah. That was, a, that was a good, like... Uh, vulnerable, exposing vulnerability in a way, maybe or something. I mean, I think that's showing that's showing real wisdom. The, it's a cliche, but the more you know, the realize, the more you learn, the the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Is going on there, so she's willing to willing to learn, willing to grow. But it totally reminded me of that moment in one of my favorite movies, Step Brothers, <laughs> when Will Ferrell and John C. Riley have been fighting with each other the entire time, and then they have this moment. And they go, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that made me very that made me very happy. We have two women here. We are actually seeing a friendship among the women. Good. Which is nice. Yeah, because up until this point, it's yeah, they they've definitely had like a very contentious interaction. Yeah. And it's nice to see that it's instead of two women jockeying for power to be the top dog, you have two women who are both acknowledging we have our our strengths and our weaknesses and we can help each other to become mm-hmm. stronger, which is cool. I don't think that's something you yeah. see a whole lot. Yeah, I bet a big part of them disliking each other was, like you said earlier, they they, they usually have the same role mm-hmm. in this in this group. Uh, but now that now that they're in a situation they where they, they're in really, really hard put or like hard pressed, they're able they realize that they can both do this role. Mm-hmm. And they can help each other even. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Matt uh, <sighs> who is, as I've said, an idiot. Yeah. Uh, he talks random parent into sneaking off without telling anybody into this mysterious city where Trollocs won't go. <laughs> it seems fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, guys, we're going to, I mean, like, when else are we going to get to see a giant, like, death city? I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, he actually says, when are we going to go see a city? And the answer to that question is, at least twice more, according to your itinerary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to Camelot and Tarvalon. That's right. But... Random parent who apparently, as somebody, as I think Nynaeve says later in this chapter, uh, just gets stupid when Matt is around. They're like, "Yep, yeah, Matt, Matt's stupid is contagious." It, it <laughs> yeah. actually reminded me my 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 Polish grandmother has a has a saying from the old country. It's one boy, one brain; two boys, half a brain. Which I think is definitely <laughs> applying here, except they have a third of a brain now. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. They're like sneaking away from mom to go visit <laughs> yeah. the city. So they go visit the city and they see all this really cool stuff. They see yeah. that, that arena I mentioned, like a, a giant building with seats around the edges and no roof that they don't know what could that be for. Mm. And the, another building they described that's just one giant dome and a big open area, which I couldn't think of anything specifically that that would be other than just a big building. Yeah, some sort of like audience hall yeah, or... Concert hall maybe? Yeah, I mean like it would probably have really good acoustics and it had a giant maybe dome that's because the dome, yeah. It was super cool and I was wondering if it was a nod back to C.S. Lewis, the very first book in the mm-hmm. series, not The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but the first one, The Magician's Nephew, which came mm-hmm. immediately before that, yeah. when they go into, the children go into the dead city and they, oh. and they strike the bell um, and... The evil witch shows up, hmm. so I was kind of wondering if that was a nod to it because oh, it, it's another description it, yeah. of this amazing city of kings. Yeah, yeah, 
Cool. Yeah, I definitely yeah. get the impression that this is like, uh, you know, a, a ancient glory kind of city. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. 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 So they're they're duly impressed by this, and they they sit down to take a rest on some steps. Uh, when they meet a new person. Oh, a new friend. Yeah, a, a guy comes out of the shadows, blinking in the light. Yeah. Uh, looking really weird. Not at all suspicious. Yeah, and it introduces himself as Mordeth. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Mordeth. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's an awfully evil sounding name, right? <laughs> yep. I mean, like, if someone, intru- if, if someone introduces themselves as Mordeth, you're going you're gonna to ask a question. It's, it's, it's basically, yeah. This guy comes out and says, Hi, I'm Mordeth. Would you like to walk into this pitch black hallway with me? I have treasure. treasure. He even says, I have been quite a long time in the dark inside. My eyes are not yet used to the light. Yeah, he Mm -hmm. says a lot of like really evil sounding mysterious stuff. And they're like, why are you in the city? He's like, why are you in the city? (laughs) It's it's appropriate that he is wearing a somewhat red outfit because this guy is all red flags. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have some treasure? Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, let's let's and follow I, this guy. I think it's pretty clear that he said that because Matt had just mentioned treasure. He's, mm. he, Matt mm-hmm. had just said something like, this is a big city, we should look around, we might find treasure. This strikes me as like a stranger with a van that says free candy on the street, <laughs> right? Yes, that's right? what I was yeah. thinking, yeah. <laughs> More death with his, like, candy van. Yeah, he, so, so, <laughs> come on, guys, come get in the van. It's, it's, it's totally safe. <laughs> Got lots of candy in here. <laughs> you like candy? His name. his name is great, More Death. <laughs> <laughs> so More Death shows up. Uh, yeah, and, and invites them to come into the shadows of this building, and he says, I've got treasure for you. Uh, and he's acting really weird, but they're like, yeah, sure, I like treasure. Yeah. And they, so they head into the building with him, mm-hmm. uh, and it's shadowy in the building, and he leads them down the staircase, and the staircase is literally pitch black. Yeah, they, 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 they can't see, and they're walking into the, the, the pitch black dark, following this guy named Mordeth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they... Uh, Rand mentions that he's dressed in weird clothes, like Rand has never seen clothes like this before. He's got, like, cuffs on his sleeves that reach on, almost down to his knees. So it's a, it's a funny style. Uh, and, he, and I think he says he speaks with a weird accent, too. Like, yeah. he speaks in a way that, like, they almost can't understand him when he says some words. Right. Like somebody, like if somebody was speaking Old English or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. From a different time. <laughs> Ye only treasure. Yeah. But the big reveal, though. Yeah, they get down there. And uh, as soon as Rand says... Ah, it's so dark down here. This is bothering me. They enter a room with a bunch of torches that are lit up. Oh, that's convenient. Is that convenient or did that just happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, yeah, they a room lit with torches full of treasure. Lots of treasure. Piles and piles of treasure. <clears throat> so much treasure. Yeah, gold and like shiny weapons with jewels attached to them. Like a lot mm-hmm. of really nice weapons and yeah. treasure. And Mordeth is like, there. Get the treasure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Have some treasure. Uh, oh, yeah. They mentioned that they're going to Camelin and Mordeth is like, Camelin? I never heard of it. The city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's right by here. Yeah, yeah, the biggest city in this country. That's like the next city down the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean they're on ride. they're on like Camelin Road and it's like oh, <laughs> right. oh those Camelin boys. But he doesn't get suspicious. I thought this was. I mean they're 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 suspicious, but he doesn't. Nobody realizes anything is like really wrong. Until yeah. Rand realizes that he doesn't have a shadow. Mordeth doesn't have a shadow. Yeah, there's something that's strange about him, and him. that's what it is. He doesn't yeah. have any shadows. Yeah. But even before yeah, that, yeah, right. <laughs> even before that, though, I want to point out that they're they're doing all right. They're they're talking to him, and then he gets really like miffed because Matt, and, and, and just like he does, starts running his fucking mouth again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Oh, we're going to Tarvalon. <laughs> have you ever been, have you ever heard of Tarvalon?" <laughs> yeah, the guy's like Tarvalon, and he has heard of Tarvalon. Yeah, and he's pissed off. Yeah, he does not like Tarvalon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the deal with Mordeth that he offers is like, I found all this treasure, but I can't carry it all, so you help me carry it back to my horses, and you can keep whatever you can carry. Yeah. This giant pile of treasure. I'm just going to let you ha- let you guys have it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, he, so so when Matt mentions Tarvalon, he starts, like, his uh, his friendly demeanor starts cracking a little bit. And that's at the point when, I believe, Rand notices he doesn't yeah. have Yeah, you don't have a shadow. Yeah, he doesn't have a shadow. Uh, and he, he says out loud, you don't have a shadow. And Because Morgan... <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you don't have a shadow. That's kind of weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really explain this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and Mordis like, okay. Starts like shame, shame, shape changing and says something like, you're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Turns out Mordeth's just not a reliable person. They did wait, not make a friend here. Wait, wait, Mordeth wasn't friendly? Nope. A guy named Mordeth just doesn't. A- after all they've been through with Mordeth. Yeah. All the like lovely adventures they've been wandering through the dark shadows. <laughs> yeah, the Hanging out in a basement together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so he changes size and, and like shouts at them and freaks them out and... Yeah, screams at them and then like dives across the room and attenuates like it becomes really long and like goes through a crack in the wall and disappears. Yeah, what 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 is happening here? Like I actually found this scene a little bit difficult to follow because it sounds like he like he's he seems like he's going to attack him and then he jumps into the wall and wanders off. Like But then what? he shows up in the corner of the room. Yeah, like yeah. Th- then he's like cl- like sitting in the corner clutching his knees or something. Yeah, and he screams, mm-hmm. "You're all dead, all dead." And then he then he goes through the cracks in the wall. Yeah, then he then he turns and attenuates gone. and turns into a line and, and goes through the cracks. Yeah, he disappears and freaking so Perrin says, Let's get the fuck out of here. Indeed. And freaking Matt <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no Matt says, He tricked us. It's some kind of trick yeah. after he's turned into this crazy demon <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like yeah, yeah. And not just I, that, I he that. says, Let's stop and continue to keep gathering this treasure. Yeah, we can't go without the treasure, guys. That's it's definitely about the treasure. what you should do. Yeah. <laughs> you should be worrying about that right now. Yeah, I, I don't know where Matt got this obsession with treasure. Uh, but it hasn't been a thing up until this point, for sure. Yeah, did he just did he used to rob people all the time in Emmons Field? We just, we just didn't know. It's yeah, like we're, we're revealing secret backstory from out here. Yeah, yeah but this, this goes this, beyond like the oh, you're such a you know, a trickster guy. Like this is just no sense of self preservation whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, which we also saw with the white cloaks. But I feel absolutely. like this is times one thousand. Yeah, and so Rand and Perrin. Oh, they they hustle him out of there. They're like, no, they, they drag the him out. Yeah. Like he will, they, he won't go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they drag him out, make him drop everything, because uh, they're, you know, they they got their brain back or something, yeah. and they run screaming out of the building and screaming back to the streets and come screaming into the room with everybody else. And the entire time that they're going, like they hear like like rustling laughter from the shadows or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and they feel like they're being watched by a thousand eyes. Very sinister kind of horror right. scene. Yeah. And Rand's like, I wonder, he's like, I, it's weird being watched by these eyes, but you know, it's probably more death. <laughs> you know? Come on. Come on. Yeah. So they get back into the, the, the room with the rest of the party, uh, and they, they start telling the story all at once, and Moraine was like, more death? You guys met Mordeth? He's a bad guy. <laughs> in, in case you couldn't gather from his name, well, apparently you didn't gather from his name that he's not not friendly yeah and they she asked pointedly whether he touched them or gave them anything uh because apparently it would be bad if more death touched you or gave, gave them anything yeah uh but they they say no because uh, i guess yeah he didn't actually touch them did he no he never no. he tries to but brand like he takes a swing at a couple of them and brand gets away and like dodges mm-hmm. and yeah it's on and then he uh, disappears before he can do much yeah and land mentions an entire trollic army was killed here 
in uh, they were during the Trolloc Wars. They were stationed there, uh, and then like they were gone. And the the scouts that were sent in found blood on the walls and like messages written on the walls, like begging for help from the Dark One. Mm. Uh, and then the next scouts that came in found nothing at all because apparently Mordeth cleaned the walls or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got time. He gets bored. Yeah. Uh, and and a whole Trolloc army. So this was an extremely dangerous place. This seems like information that Moraine could have provided to them when uh, they first entered the uh, city. Hundred percent. To be fair, though, I think they the boys ran off so quickly because she even says later because Rain is saying why why are we here? This is ridiculous. And Moraine says if you'd not gone running if you had not gone running off, you would know that I set wards around this building. Yeah. So they didn't even give her an opportunity. They know? still, I, th- I think they still, she, like she set up protection and stuff. I think that Moraine did herself a disservice here because you know she seems like one who's planning and, and preparing. This is one of those situations where sharing like a little bit of information probably would have like mm-hmm. you know helped a lot later on. Yeah. yeah, but to be fair, they were still escaping like five hundred Trollocs and Mirdral. Yeah. So. That's true. Maybe she just didn't get a chance. And she, she didn't was, expect uh, them to she like was, like super worn out and getting medicine. Also, she didn't expect them to run away. Literally, the moment they <laughs> they found pieces, yeah. go into the next room and then run away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Freaking Matt. Yeah. So she she actually finally tells them the story of Aridol. 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 I don't. I don't think it's in our in our glossary. Okay. But. Of Aridol slash Shadar Logoth. Yeah. Uh, and they were a, it was a, a shining city, a good city, one of the big allies of Manetherin during the Trolloc Wars, which mm. were, I think they were about a thousand years ago. Mm. And they, apparently some guy named Mordeth came to <laughs> Aridol, and they're like, Mordeth? Sounds great. What do you think we should do? He couldn't be the same guy, could he? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and they, they, uh, they were desperate in the fight against the Trolloc Wars, and so at Mordeth, Mordeth quickly became an advisor to the king. This is kind of like a worm tongue thing, right? Completely, yeah. yeah. Rima worm tongue. He became an advisor to the king, and under at his advice, they kept fighting the Trollocs, but they they became evil. They basically it got to the point where people were like, "We don't know who's worse, the Trollocs or these people from Aridol," because they were they became cruel, they became vicious, they became I don't know murderers, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and they basically went evil to fight evil, and it got so extreme that to the point that their their actual hatred. Uh, the, the hatred that they had in the city consumed them, literally. Like, something really bad appeared, was summoned in the world by their sheer hatred. Mashadar is what they call yeah, it. Yeah, and the, it has a name. The name is Mashadar. There's a thing that was created just by the sheer hatred of this city. And Mashadar is what lives inside the walls of Aridol. Uh, and, in fact, they don't call it Aridol anymore. They call it Shadar Logoth, which means shadows waiting. So... At this point, we don't we don't know more, much, but Mordeth doesn't seem like he's an agent of the Dark One specifically, which is interesting. Like he's not the, there's a there's a the, the impression yeah because because he kills uh, he kills Trollocs you know and yeah so it's it's interesting that there's like another malevolent force that is by most accounts more powerful than almost anything that they've encountered up to this point, mm-hmm. uh, but doesn't seem aligned with any of the like the standard evil. So there's different evil factions. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, right? This is something else. And it didn't, they didn't say anything about where Mordeth came from. Yeah, he just mysteriously appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so was he magical before that? Was he just like an advisor? Was he like a Dick Cheney type? He's just like a really bad advisor? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of it more along the lines, um, and forgive me, because uh, in Lord of the Rings, there's the ghost army that Aragorn brings forth right. to help fight. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if it's something along those lines. What was their story? They they weren't necessarily bad, but they refused to answer the call to help. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, and so they were cursed to. They they were yeah. not. Yeah, they weren't part of the dark forces, but they were a bad ally. Yeah. Well, huh. I, I think that Mordeth is had to have had to have been magic in one way or another because it sounds like he he inserted himself nearly immediately, which you know it sounds supernatural the way. The way that he brought change so it rapidly, does. and not just like minor change, like he just turned the he turned the damn city evil with his <laughs> with his presence. So yeah. well, it took a while, but yeah, he he did. And I and I wonder if it was part of Mordeth's magic that caused the hatred of the city to create Mashadar and destroy themselves, mm. or if that would have happened in any situation where that much hatred was brought together in one place. That's a good point. And and we know now that uh, and we know that now Mordeth is essentially like a. a an agent of Mashadar, or or he yeah. was. It says he wasn't consumed by it. The, but yeah, the only one that wasn't consumed by it was Mordeth. Right. And but Mordeth and Mashadar are both trapped in the city. Right. I guess Mashadar doesn't want to leave. Yeah. But because uh, Mashadar is from there, but Mordeth is trapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the relationship between those two is is very unclear. Yeah. And apparently, everybody that goes there is consumed, and their blood is on the walls. So nobody has a good idea, and they just don't put it on any maps. Well, but and, and that, just, that's their solution. Like we're going to erase all the roads. Don't put it on any maps. Not talking about this place. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, they they we have this. <clears throat> it sounds like there's, you know, they, they know a lot about how more death works for some reason. It's 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 kind of weird. They, uh, let's see, he wasn't consumed by Mashadar, but he was snared by it, and he's waited in these walls too long century, centuries. Uh, let's see, he gives gifts to people that twist their mind and taint their spirit, and if he ever convinces someone to accompany him to the walls. Then he's gonna consume the living soul of that person and right. leave they, wearing their body. They did it's, know all that stuff. They know all this stuff and to wreck ass- his evil on the world again. I assume he's never yeah. done that, or we know, How right? Did they know I, that? Did he tell somebody? <laughs> so I think what we're saying is he's never run it with his because parents like, oh, that must be why I wanted us to, to help him carry the treasure. He was gonna carry it outside the walls, which is telling me yeah. that in the thousand years or whatever that Mordeth has been trapped here. Matt and friends are the dumbest guys he's ever gotten to actually having it work. That's a great point. Yeah. And you know, honestly, if, if he'd kept his cool, he probably would have succeeded. Like, they, the, yeah. if they were doing been like, Tar Valon, oh yeah, I have no reaction to that. I'm here to be free. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of Tar Valon. <laughs> so close. Like he did with Camelon, right? Yeah, he just yeah. can't get it together. Come on, Mordet. <laughs> yeah, you're so close, man. Yeah. Yeah, so she tells him this story, which... I mean, it would have been, this would have been good to tell them, you know, and not even details, just like, don't leave this building or you might get eaten by an ancient horror that's worse than the dark one. Yeah. They, 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 a bunch of Trollocs came here once and they were killed. That's why Trollocs don't like to come here. We should probably be careful in this. You're thing. right. Yeah. You could have thrown that out pretty fast. Yeah. Anyway, but it's a, it's a pretty cool story though. I, I, you know, I, I actually like love that story. Yeah. yeah. The, like the, I, like the, the way that this, this history kind of led to the, the birth of this other kind of evil that yeah. even the dark ones, you know, I, I think they even say that. He destroyed a bunch of the what do they call not the bear draw but the the doom oh the dreadlords the dreadlords yeah he killed a bunch of dreadlords too it's like man this is like a real power yeah so Lamb shows back up he's been yeah. out yeah Lamb was out looking for them yeah. yeah oh and they say oh yeah and there's there's they're worried because uh, Lamb's been gone for a long time and they say something that I wanted to I wanted to to mention that. Uh, Let's see. He was pledged to fight the Dark One before he left the cradle. A sword placed in his infant hands. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, what that's like really poor parenting. <laughs> <laughs> but but we also learned that. that does, I also would, would posit that that does not 
change your percentage chance of growing into a great sword fighter at all. I, I, having I, a sword when you're a baby. I disagree. I think that if you have a sword of the baby, as a baby, you're less likely to become a warrior because you were probably going to kill yourself. <laughs> like, I don't know how many babies you know, but if you hand a sword to a baby, they're just as likely to stab themselves. So. It's true. But, um, but maybe those who survive, those babies that survive, are tougher because they've grown up with a sword. <laughs> Yeah, but this is this is another dollop of uh, Land's backstory, right? Which is that he's the the not only is he the baddest ass that ever batted an ass, right? But he was when he was a baby too. He's the coolest baby ever. Yeah, he's, he's got a sword. Yeah, even before like as he was born, he was he was going to be fighting the Dark One. I don't know if that's standard practice for warders or if Land's a, a special circumstance, but we know mm-hmm. that's true, and we also know that uh, as a result. Let's see, I would know the minute of his death and the way of it, just as he would know mine. So that, again, we have this idea that they're linked together. Both Moraine and Lan have some sort of magical connection. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. And uh, then, then Rand briefly sleeps. Uh, he has a dream that seems to be a regular nightmare, combining a bunch of elements of the stuff he's seen recently. But the one notable thing is there's a crazy old man laughing at him through the whole dream. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Uh, so Lan comes back. The Trollocs are inside the walls. He saw them. Uh, they didn't think the Trollocs would come in here, but something is driving them in. It's the Myrdral. The Myrdral are driving them in with whips, literally with whips, mm. to come into the walls. Uh, and that's pretty disturbing because the Myrdral didn't want to come in there either. Yeah, we so, have this like horror movie moment. Uh, Lan says slowly, the Myrdral forced the Trollocs into the city. What forced the Myrdral? Yeah. 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 Something else. And there's we, pause. Yeah, we don't know what kinds of hierarchies of evil there are, but we know the Myrdral are pretty bad, so something... If the Myrdral are afraid of something, yeah. then it's gotta be pretty bad. And yeah. we, you know, it's not the Dark One, because as they say, dark, the Dark One is, is trapped in Shalgol, but you know, there are lots of other kinds of evil things that we don't want to tangle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they head out, they pack up, and uh, they have a rough plan to head to the river, uh, because Myrdral and Trollocs apparently have a lot of trouble crossing rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, we're, they... They, they fear the water. We don't really know why, swim. right? Is that, what, is that it? They, yeah. can't they can't swim, but I think yeah, they're, they're just really dense. Like, their bodies are literally dense. I the mean, sink. they're wearing armor and stuff, too, so... That's true. Yeah. They could take the armor off, though. And and I think we talked about it before, too. That's a common thing, the idea of yeah. running water being a protection against evil. Yeah, that's a common, common in folk tales about yeah. monsters and ghoulies. Yeah, that is true. But we know that a half-man, both, both Myrdral and Trollocs, will not cross deep water. Yeah. Even though it seems like maybe it's a danger for them to rely on this fact, since they also knew that there was no way the Trollocs were going to come into Shadow Gold in the first That's place. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah this, it, so, so we get an idea that maybe the their their pursuit is is something more than what they they usually do. Yeah. Well, but we're moving on to Plan C now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just cross the river. Yes. Uh, right. So that leads us to Chapter Twenty: Dust on the Wind. And is it uh, it's Trollocs again, right? Is yeah, symbol? Trollocs. Uh, right. So they're heading out when uh, Moraine and Lan accidentally get a little separated from them, and a, a tendril of mist crosses the the path in front of them. It's it's nighttime. It's it's fallen dark, and and there's mist coming out. Uh, and the the others are about to follow them when Moraine says, "Stop! Don't cross that mist." And the mist is acting kind of weird. The mist is like in a, this tendril that's gone across the road, and this tendril is growing. It's getting bigger. It starts out as just this little tendril and gets bigger as like the size of an arm, the size of a leg. So mist tentacles. Yep, mysticals. And I, <laughs> I want to point out this is the second time that we've had a mist slash fog showing up, but the first time it was good because it was hiding the, them as they were trying to escape Emmett's field, and now it's bad. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. 
says, I guess Mist is just magical. Yeah. Uh, and Moraine says, don't touch that. That's Mashadar. And this is what Mashadar actually is, is this mindless force that looks like a mist. And it's vast. It fills the whole city. And it just doesn't come out in the, in the light. Right. Uh, but it's, and it's, it's in, uh, unstoppable, right? Because it's like a mist. Yeah, initially their plan had been to wait in the city until the next day because they didn't want to travel through the right. city at night. And Moraine's wards would have prevented Mashadar from, from absorbing them. Right. Uh, and it's, I found this description of it as this mindless, vast, amorphous entity is, is Lovecraftian. Totally. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's very, this like otherworldly horror kind of thing. Right. This, this thing that's like not, it's, it seems like it's almost not even good or bad. It's just this other thing that, that consumes living stuff. Uh, and is, is at, at a power level that's so far beyond these people that, that they can't even, they can barely even comprehend it. Yeah. And, and, uh, Maureen says that there's not something that even the entirety of, of Tarvalon could could defeat. It's just like this, yeah, massive yeah. evil force. Right, yeah. Because how could they defeat evil mist? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they they have to split up because they, they don't want to just try jumping over it. That's what I do. Yeah. And as they talk, like, it starts spreading off these, like, little separate tentacles that are, like, kind of sniffing the air and, and wiggling around and, like, kind of seeking out them. Uh, and Moraine, I think she says she can't use magic on it because that would bring the, the mirror draw down on them. Right. Yeah. I think she said previously that they're drawn to the use of the one power. It's yeah. like a, a bell or something like yeah. that. So this, it's kind of interesting because it's, this, it's just a little thing across the road, but they're cut off. They can't get to each other now. Right. Uh, Moraine and Lan are on the, the forward side and everybody else is on the backward side. So Moraine says, all right, well, Points to a, she points to a star and says, head towards that star. That star, the, the river is in the direction of that star, and we're going to meet up at the river. So split up. Let's go. Uh, which is, that's going to go great. Yeah, every horror movie ever. That's, that's Yeah, <laughs> yes. we know that splitting up is a great idea. It right. totally is. And so they're, they're heading off, and, and Rand takes a leadership role. They, they're heading away, and they, they're about to head around the, uh, the head towards the river when they run into some Trollocs. And it's this kind of Saving Private Ryan moment where they, they, they're surprised and the Trollocs are surprised and there's a moment where nobody knows what to do. <laughs> but then the Trollocs, like, charge at them and because Rand's leadership is so effective, everybody literally scatters in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> so Moraine and Lan are off on their own, but uh, the remaining people are Rand, Matt, Perrin, Egwene, Nenev, and Tom, who all scatter. <laughs> <laughs> Probably what doesn't say to <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and they all ride off, and the the tro- it's chaotic. The Trollocs are all chasing them. The Trollocs, cha- the uh, some of the Trollocs chase Rand, and uh, they're able to keep up with his horse just running. Yeah. So I didn't realize that that the Trollocs not only are big and scary, but they're really fast too. Yeah. They're like well, superhuman. Well, we <clears throat> earlier when they were being pursued and surrounded by the five hundred Trollocs before they came to Shadar Logoth, I got that impression as well because they were they were running at full tilt as fast as they could and the trolls were still gaining on them. Yeah, before. they were closing that distance pretty quickly. Yeah, right. Before on the foot. fire and earth yeah. thing happened. Yeah. So, yeah, so Rand's charging away and uh, he, he charges between some narrow buildings and Mashadar is oozing through all the windows and he realizes that Mashadar is glowing. It's not just the moonlight. The mist is actually glowing. The glow cloud? The glow cloud. <laughs> and it's coming through all the windows, and there's these little tentacles kind of reaching out through the windows towards the center of the street. And he, he books it, he gallops straight through between the tentacles, and the Trollocs and the Miradral try and come on after him, but they get grabbed by the tentacles. All of a sudden, these, these mist tentacles, they strike like snakes, <sighs> which is really creepy. And they, they latch onto the Trollocs, and the Trollocs scream, but their screams are quickly like muffled by the mist or fog going into their mouths. Uh, and, and a bunch of the tentacles latch onto the mirror draw and it does this like epic 
death scream that sounds like a million bees. Or what does he say? He says something really. Uh, what was it? It was a piercing whine just beyond hearing, like all the hornets in the world digging into Rand's ears with all the fear that could exist. <laughs> That's pretty epic. <laughs> That's a pretty serious death scream. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's it's killing them, and they're not happy. And so Rand thinks, I, I hope I don't get touched by one of those mysterious. <laughs> that would really suck. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but that uh, solves the problem of being chased by those Trollocs. And you can see why the Trollocs didn't want to enter this city. And so Rand meets up with Matt. They nearly, you know, kill each other. Uh, Rand nearly chops Matt up with a sword, which probably would actually simplify his life a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, he, he hasn't really done him a whole lot of favors lately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they make their way to the gate. Uh, and they, they get outside the gate, and they, it looks like they're clear, and they're starting to head towards the river when Tom Marilyn catches them up and says, <laughs> Flee, you fools. Uh, in a very Run, you fools. Movie. Yeah, because he's being chased by Trollocs. Right. <laughs> and so they are, they are chased away. And now we get our first, I believe, perspective shift of the novel. Yeah. Yeah, we actually see something from Perrin's viewpoint instead mm-hmm. of Rand. Yep. And so Perrin is there. He's made it to a gate. Uh, he's got no trouble. He, he thinks about it for a while because Perrin likes to think about things. He's not stupid. He just likes to think about things. I, I love how Robert Jordan is very clear to let us know that he's not actually stupid. He just likes to stop and think about things. <laughs> right. I also want to point out that... He doesn't say that about Matt. He never says, Matt's not stupid, he just takes a lot of risks. Yeah. Because Matt is stupid. <laughs> I just want to point out, Perrin fingers his axe blade a whole lot. He spends a lot of time running his finger along the blade he of the does. axe. He runs his finger along the edge of the axe, which I'm not exactly sure what that means, because doesn't that mean he's cutting himself? I guess know? it's not real sharp. It's, it's more of a blunt... Weapon. Yeah, I mean, like he's testing the edge, maybe. He's I, like... I guess, but he just spends a lot of time fondling it. Right. So Perrin is sitting there. He's thinking slowly. He says, "Should I go out the door?" Hmm. I'm not dumb. I'm just thinking about. Yeah. It. I'm Gentle thinking giant. about the fact that I'm not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he decides to go through the door, and uh, he meets up with Egwene, who is uh, going through the door, uh, going through the gate also, and they are about to get out. Uh, they're they're just out the door when Trollocs catch up with them and start chasing them. Uh, and they're running, they're fleeing through the darkness, and they ride right into the river uh, because they didn't see it in the darkness. They just, they're right over a ridge, and there's a fall and a splash. And uh, Perrin is struggling. He has to drop his cloak, which is tragic. Oh, God, not the cloak. <laughs> yeah. How will people know what kind of person he is without his cloak? <laughs> That's right. Uh, but he does manage to swim across, only he lost Egwene. We don't know what happened to Egwene. Oh, no. Yeah. It's very sad. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, so we switch the, our POV back to Rand, uh, and Rand and Matt are still, Rand and Matt and Tom are still avoiding Trollocs. Uh, three Trollocs jump them, and, and they almost get Rand and Matt, uh, but, and then Tom comes out of the darkness, uh, and starts throwing knives and killing Trollocs with his throwing knives. Wait a second. Because apparently he can do that. Wait, Tom has throwing knives, huh? Mysterious, yeah. Yeah, and like, he's really good with them. Like, he rides around in horseback in pitch black night and kills three Trollocs with three throws of his throwing knives. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's normal for a Glee Man. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the Glee Man is, is being knife trained. Glee Man slash Hitman. If yeah. you can juggle, you can throw knives. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good true. point. He's got such good hands. I think that is actually the implication, is that he juggles knives, and throwing knives is probably a, a stunt that you do, that's what they do in circuses. That's a good point. So yeah. he's just using his Gleeman skills for there. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but then they they go to the river, and with Tom, they, they start heading downstream, and Tom just sort of arbitrarily says, we're going downstream now. And they see a ship moored there, 
which is one of the things that Moraine had suggested earlier, was we may be able to hail a ship coming down, a trader coming down from Saldea. Right. And that could get us where we're going. Uh, so they, this, that's what they, they find. They find a, a trader ship. And they're about to, to go try and talk their way aboard the ship when Trollocs attack them again. And Trollocs seem to come and go at very narratively convenient moments in this chapter. <laughs> I would sure. agree. Yeah. And so the Trollocs chase them onto the ship. Rand jumps on the ship and literally lands on the sleeping watchman. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And the Trollocs charge up and climb up the rigging uh, and start fighting all the sailors. And the sailors fight them off and Rand nearly dies. And it, it, yeah, it looks like Rand is actually going to die because he's he's been stunned by being hit in the back with this catch pole, mm. uh, and he's got he he's lost. He had the wind knocked out of him when a boom uh, <laughs> uh, comes swinging out of the darkness and crushes the Trolloc, just sort of randomly. Yeah, but yeah. you. And I first read that, and I kind of rolled my eyes. You know, that's awfully convenient, but. Robert Jordan kind of takes it and winks at that, too. For a moment, Rand lay panting and staring up at the boom, swinging back and forth above him. That ha- that has to have used up my luck, he thought. There can't be any more after that. <laughs> so, yeah. at least we uh, acknowledge that that's awfully ridiculously lucky. Extremely yeah. lucky. Yeah, he was, because he was dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but... So they're the the captain and all the sailors kind of charging onto the ship, and they're like, cut off, cut off, you know, let, get, let's get going, because there's Trollocs crawling under our boat. Mm-hmm. And then we meet the captain. Yeah. And so the captain comes out, and the captain is awesome. <laughs> yeah, his name is Bail Dalmon, and he starts issuing all these orders, and he talks in this weird, has this really weird accent. Uh, I do be wondering who come aboard my ship. <laughs> it's a so pirate talk. It's a very I, I, it's odd way of talking. Yeah, it's it's this, he, yeah, the Captain Dalmon talks, you, and I think that's the way people talk in Ilion. Well, that's that's a bit I, of a spoiler. But I that, guess, but yeah, because he's he is all the people that they've met so far have been either Moraine, Lan, or are from the same region as them. Mm-hmm. And this guy's a trader. This guy sails his ship around the river. He's from a completely different place than these people. So are. he's not oh, what, Andoran. I think is what they are. Andoran. Yeah, they're from Andorra. Andoran. Yeah. And I mean, maybe Moraine and Lan do talk weird, but they're just code switching when they're in the <laughs> regional true. places. But just to give an example of the way Captain Domon talks. Uh, they're telling him their story, and he says, That be a tale many folks, many folk would no believe. Of course, I did see the Trollocs, did I know? Yeah. Interesting. That be a tale many folks would no believe. Of course, I did see the Trollocs, did I know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So kind of like an Irish pirate? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they call Irish. Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting character, and he's different from anybody that Rand's ever met before, for sure. And he talks about himself in the third person sometimes, too. <laughs> he does. Bail Damon be a respectable man. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and they and so he gets everything, all this chaos on deck, he gets it squared away really quick. Uh, he, he gets really angry at the, the guy, the watchman who is sleeping on deck. Like, you know, your job was to stand there watching for Trollocs crawling onto our boat. Uh, and the, that guy blames Rand. He, he totally says, well, Rand snuck up and hit me. That's why I was asleep. And, yeah, and, and he blames that guy for having that loose uh, spar, that loose boom that was swinging around and crushing Trollocs. And that guy's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I, I totally I totally battened that hatch. Or I don't know what the, you say when you're a sailor. And But but the interesting thing is, I thought these people were going to be crazy about the Trollocs, because everybody else in Inman's Field thought they were all fairy stories. But Bale Dalman's like, I wish these Trollocs would stop attacking my boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he immediately assumes that the Trollocs were attacking him. Yeah, so he, either, you know, he's pretty worldly, or he's just like, you know, yeah, he just well, rolls he, with the punches. Yeah, he mentions it later. I think he says something like that again. 
that the Trollocs just keep attacking this guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so mm. maybe they're out of the frying pan into the fire a little bit. Yeah. But he, yeah, so he gets Rand and Matt and, and Tom down into his cabin. Uh, and they basically negotiate over what, what they're going to do, what he's going to do with them. They're on his boat. You know, is he going to send them into the drink? Hire matey. <laughs> and uh, there's this neat little scene where Tom is about to try and talk his way through when, when Rand and Matt both just, like, reach in their pockets and say, hey, is this enough money? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, that's exactly the amount of money that it costs. <laughs> yeah, much. How convenient. He actually gives them some change, but yeah. Some yeah. coppers. Yeah, a little bit of change. Yeah. And he's like, you know, the extra is for my trouble because of this trollocs on my boat. You yeah. Know, cutting up my rigging. And, and Rand is like, well, we've got more friends. They'll pay you more. And he's like... Look, this is a boat, kid. We're like miles away from where that was, but we like they're they're gone. Yeah, yeah. which makes Rand really sad. Yeah, because yeah. He, because Rand is worried about Egwene specifically. Yeah. He still feels like kind of responsible for Egwene's safety on this this journey. Yeah, and also I want to point out that they pay with the silver coins that. Mm-hmm. Moraine had given them. Yeah, they, they're not on. regular silver coins. They're like the special coins. Oh, the coins. Yeah, the coins that Moraine gave them. They're the special. They're uh, yeah the. The, the biggest coins, the biggest denomination coins that they've got. I assume at this point it's like a GPS tracker that she planted on them or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think Tom asked him, well, you know, you seem to think the Trollocs are after you. Why would Trollocs be after you? And he's like, oh, you know, no reason. <laughs> we were just up north and there's Trollocs all over the place. Yeah. Which might actually be true because the north is the blight or whatever, right? Yeah. So I do get the impression that there's a lot of Trollocs. Yeah, they're the borderlands is where he was. Yeah. Right. But Rand has his very, like, emo moment there. Um... I tried to talk her out of coming. I told her I'd take care of her. I should have tried harder. The creak of the sweeps and the hum of the rigging in the wind made a mournful tune. I should have tried harder, he whispered. <laughs> End of chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so that was chapters 16 through 20 of The Wheel of Time, uh, book one, The Eye of the World. Uh, next time we're going to talk about chapters 21 through 25. Uh, I hope you join us. Uh, my name is Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. Alice Sullivan. And Mike Sparkman. All right. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please send them to hello at thedragonreread.com. And, and please uh, share us with anybody you think would like this podcast. Give us good reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get this. Uh, and like us just in general. Not on Facebook, just I want you to like us. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> a really likable person. I mean, I know I don't have to tell you that, but I'm telling you. I'm really likable. Please. Yeah. And uh, until next time. The, the light illumine you. Thank you.